It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Jake Cantor. On today's show, Trump versus journalism, Nick Clegg's journey from Downing Street to Silicon Valley, and what's wrong at Radio 2. Plus, our panel of guests discuss the gift of Iceland's Christmas advert ban and the argument for giving controversial figures a platform. And can you spot the worst podcast cliches in the media quiz? It's all to come in today's Media Podcast. With me today is Rebecca Gilley, journalist at theweek.co.uk, and Maeve McLennigan, maker of the Tip Off podcast and investigative journalist. Welcome, guys. We're on our little island of media news while the government is in apparent meltdown. Yeah, who knows what's happening outside? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Prime Minister could have gone by the time we've stopped recording. Uh, what have you been chasing this week, Rebecca? Uh, well, we've been working on our podcast. We have a podcast called The Week Unwrapped. Which is a Good week- plug. <laughs> I know, straight in with the plug, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a, a weekly news podcast. So that, that keeps us busy, and that's about finding uh, stories that haven't been reported very much. It's a bit, a bit difficult for us because we're, so no we're reporting the most reported <laughs> stories every day. So that kind of keeps us on our toes a bit. And how about you? Uh, so I've been busy at work at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. We are doing a big project about homelessness and trying to count homeless deaths across the UK, which is a really grim subject. And obviously, as it turns to winter, there's just more names coming in every week. So I sadly, at the minute, spend my days trawling through those names and, and logging them and, and digging into what's gone wrong. Wow. And um, I'm a bit of a tip-off fanboy. Thank you. Can we expect another series anytime soon? You can indeed. I am working on doing the interviews for Series 4 right now and hoping to get something out quite early on in in the new year. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Uh, let's go to our first story of the week, which is the fact that US cable news network CNN has announced it is suing President Donald Trump after their White House correspondent Jim Acosta had his hard pass revoked. Um, Rebecca, do you want to kick us off on this? Uh, yeah, so- what prompted the White House into the action? Uh, well, so the original story from the White House was that he had kind of manhandled a female intern uh, in the process of trying to hold onto his microphone. The White House has now kind of abandoned this whole line of, you know, line of argument. They had the first hearing on the lawsuit, uh, CNN versus the White House, um, and basically it seems to boil down to content or conduct what was the reason for Acosta's press pass being revoked. Um, the White House says they have complete discretion to revoke anybody's press pass 
but that it definitely wasn't because he is a mouthpiece of you know evil liberals. Um, uh, and CNN is claiming that basically this is just a, a kind of anti anti liberal witch hunt, and they're being discriminated against because of their um, anti Trump reporting. Um, and a lot of their argument boils down to the fact that an email was sent out to the Trump fundraising campaign in which they celebrated revoking Acosta's press pass in the same sentences, calling CNN you know brainwashing liberal mouthpiece. Uh, and so they're saying that by stringing those two things together, they've made it obvious that this was a discriminatory decision by the White House. But Fox News have come out in support of CNN as well, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting to see that in terms of these these two what would be thought of as rival kind of opposite sides um, of the the gulf that is the media in the US right now, kind of joining together on the idea of freedom of speech, um, uh, freedom of the press being kind of paramount in this. It's actually, I thought it was quite reassuring to see Fox News um, coming out on that issue when it could have been spun the other way. Yeah, and it just shows how worrying it is when so much of you know what goes on in politics in the US and also in the UK is based on precedent and everybody understanding that we need to operate by the same rules with no kind of legal framework behind them. Because it does seem that from the White House's perspective, uh, they are right in saying that legally President Trump can refuse to speak to any reporter or bar any reporter from the White House. I mean, we could talk about this probably any episode of the media podcast, but do you think that this particular incident shows that relations are at an all-time low or as low as they can possibly go as far as Trump and uh, and the press, the enemy of the people? I mean, it's, it's hard to know how low. <laughs> it's kind of dangerous to say yeah. this is the bottom, is really. The bottom. you got to yeah. wait for next week. Who knows? But I do think we're due a ruling quite soon. I thought, I thought the yeah, judge I think was later today. today. So um, I guess that will be something in terms of checks and balances on that relationship. But, I, you know, I wouldn't like to be Jim going back into that then uh, next week to report. I can't imagine him taking another question particularly well. I mean, just taking a little step back, something that struck me uh, recently was former Daily Show host John Stewart talking about the fact that Trump baits the press and it appeals to journalist narcissism. Um, do you think he's got a point? I do. I think there's that thing of kind of you know, the press eating itself in that we get so het up with the way that he's talking about the liberal press that we ignore many other things. I think there's, you know, there's so many things in the Trump government beyond Trump himself that we certainly don't hear over here in the UK. And it's because there is this big Ferrari around these other elements. That said, I do think, you know, as Rebecca said, there's this dangerous precedent of um, if, you know, you you start to attack the press, the consequences that that can have and the kind of slippage into um, repealing rights that are so important to democracy. But you're right, though. I mean, debate about other policy issues does get tuned out because of the the airtime that's given over to this yeah, issue. Yeah, and it's a classic, you know, red herring in that what feels important on a personal level to journalists usually doesn't feel important to the average listener and then they just become another kind of bear in the bear pit uh, and, the uh, and you know, as Maeve was saying, the actual messages do get lost. We're, we're kind of concluding that, that maybe the public doesn't care too much. <laughs> I think I mean, it certainly uh, yeah. plays into that whole snowflake liberal getting all wound up about things, which is... You know, it's straight out of Bannon's game rule book. But there um, is, I think, there's reason to be optimistic. You know, as we we're just saying about Fox News coming out, and that that could be the low point because that's certainly one organisation that, that the Trump administration wouldn't want to uh, turn his fire against them. Okay, talking of Steve Bannon, let's move on to our next item, which is uh, the debate over whether broadcasters should be interviewing controversial figures. This was after Aaron Banks appeared on the Andrew Marr show. Uh, and Sky News interviewed uh, Tommy Robinson. Uh, This week, uh, Steve Bannon appeared at the News Exchange Conference to some outcry. 
Um, do we think that this issue is um, sort of gaining an importance and it's, it's right or wrong to criticise broadcasters for giving these controversial figures these platforms? The thing with this is that I kind of changed my mind on it the more I thought about it because my first thought was, you know, that this is a classic example of the BBC being a bit too conscientious for its own good and thinking, well, we have to have these people because they represent another viewpoint. Um, and, you know, what, what's been said before with Nigel Farage, you know, lots of people said, why is he allowed to be on so many BBC things when he represents a tiny minority of views? So I kind of came in thinking, well, very few people agree with the likes of Tommy Robinson, you know, proportionately say, why should they have so much airtime? But actually, the more I thought about it, the more I thought that actually a lot of people who don't share his views do feel quite passionately that he should have airtime and that there's a kind of a danger that people could be pushed more towards extreme viewpoints who, you know, are currently maybe sitting in the kind of centre right if they see what, you know, what they see as as controversial commentators being pushed out by, you know, a mainstream centrist or liberal centrist press, so... But he's like the central figure in a major story. He should clearly, he should be interviewed. That's that's certainly my opinion. Yeah, and it, I mean, this is a debate that's gone on for decades, right? Remember Jerry Adams and his voice being disguised and all of these mm. things and people saying like that, that all these people shouldn't be platformed. I think there's a difference between the kind of false equivalence debate of, of bringing somebody like Nigel Lawson on to talk about climate change and deny it um, without any kind of consequence or challenge um, to proper robust interviewing. Mm. I guess the, the, the concerns that people have and the danger is, you know, what we saw certainly what seemed to be going on at the News Exchange com- Conference um, is that people like Steve Bannon can use those platforms and just run away with you. I, I didn't actually see the footage, but I was watching Twitter light up um, about how, you know, he was giving the interviewer the runaround. He was basically using every question as a as a way in to talk about other things. And I guess that's the danger, particularly in terms of live interviews, as to if you give someone a platform and they then just spout off potentially hate speech or whatever it is, um, do you have a responsibility as a broadcaster? But I do think, you know, I want to hear what Aaron Banks has to say for himself and Tommy Robinson Robinson has to say for himself. I think they just need a good enough challenging interviewer. Yeah, so the key is the quality of the person interviewing that individual. I think so. And, you know, the way that it is framed, um, the way that if there is a counterpoint, you know, who you have to kind of counter it and and make sure that there's balance there. It's a balancing act, but I think it's really dangerous to say we just don't want to hear certain people's views. But what was interesting about the Tommy Robinson in case in particular was how he turned the the media control on its head because he has this enormous you know online following. He posted his own unedited version. I think the Sky version was about eight minutes, and he posted his unedited hour long version that he had one of his people record. Posted it to his Facebook page and basically posted the link to Ofcom, encouraged people to complain about Sky, and they did receive. Something like 2,800 complaints, which is, you know, it's quite a lot, but it's certainly, you know, it's not even as many as they they received over Kim Woodburn's clash with Colleen Nolan on Loose Women. So, you know, on the great scheme of things, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I did follow that. Yeah, that's a much more important encounter, obviously. Um, you know, but it was so, and it was a really good example of how, you know, the, the power is shifting and Tommy Robinson can harness this enormous uh, fan base. I mean, a lot of them are not based in the UK, so that does muddy the water slightly. But, you know, he can definitely harness this force and create this alternative narrative to the one that we're seeing, you know, play out on the mainstream media. So a broadcaster's getting played by these media savvy... I, I think he's very, very clever. Extremists, That's, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, 
find his viewpoints repugnant, but you, I think you really can't deny that he is a very savvy media manipulator and that he has actually been underestimated a lot. I think broadcasters and journalists are starting to catch on a bit now, but certainly in the early days he was very much portrayed as this you know, EDL, leftover football hooligan kind of thug. But what we're seeing now is that he is extremely clever. He is, quite, I would say, comparable to Steve Bannon in, in, that, in that sense. Do broadcasters need to be interviewing these people when they have such huge platforms on social media? I think in terms of holding power to account, if this is a kind of power or potential power, then that is the role of journalism. Um, And I guess you hope as an interviewer that they kind of hoist themselves by their own petard by bringing them on. But I do think it plays into the narrative that is being created about the liberal elite media if you don't bring them on as well. And then that just fuels and disenfranchises people further and fuels that argument yet further. So I'm not sure there's much to gain from that. It's just all about how you present it, structure it, um, and having somebody, you know, vicious enough, or not, not vicious enough, <laughs> having somebody robust enough an interviewer to um, to kind of rebuff some of those more ridiculous points. Surprise, surprise. It's lose-lose for the BBC either way. Um, <laughs> moving on, our former Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, is the new Vice President of Global Affairs and Communications at Facebook. Maeve, were you surprised by this appointment? I mean... Yeah, in a way, in that I don't tend to think about Nick Clegg that much anymore. And then when he pops up, I think, oh, all right, that's an interesting um, move. You heard about David Cameron getting bored. Maybe this is um, (laughs) Nick Clegg's uh, approach. But, you know, I I guess it kind of makes sense with his connections in Europe and and Parliament there and, and on the European political scene that Facebook are, you know, they've had a tricky time of it and they do need somebody in their corner with the connections to smooth some of that through. You know, mm. it's arguable Clegg's record on getting things through or following through on promises, but um, but clearly Facebook believe that he can um, combat their corner in certain things, you know, around tax or mm. around um, kind of oversight in in Europe. Yeah, he's certainly well connected, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it shows. You know, on one hand, it does show that Facebook are concerned about. Uh, EU regulation and you know establishing a strong lobbying base in Europe and then I think it also shows that they are kind of reluctantly coming to embrace their status as a major political actor but it, so is this a bit of a poison chalice then because obviously as you as you said Maeve he's walking into a, a company which has been wounded by a series of scandals be it you know fake news election meddling you know the data scandal that we saw with Cambridge Analytica he's got a lot on his entry yeah it's certainly going to be an uphill battle I think I don't know how much just having the right connections is going to be enough to get you out of that mess I think what we've seen in Facebook is you know this kind of runaway snowballing success where it's become something that nobody quite predicted it to be and and who knows where that will go and it's quite hard to think you know by firefighting what's happened behind you to think what's ahead as well so um yeah it's certainly a challenge and he's he's trash talked Facebook in the past uh, in the column for uh, the Evening Standard, he said he found the Californian New Worldy touchy-feely culture of Facebook a little grating. They're, all, they're always going to dredge up quotes from his past. I mean, he they? trashed the Tories in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then going to <laughs> He's got history, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think he likes being a sidekick to evil. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're saying that Mark Zuckerberg is No, no one's evil, evil. <laughs> it's fine. No, 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 nobody's evil, everyone's fine. <laughs> Okay, uh, supermarket chain Iceland is set to unleash a giant orangutan onto the streets of London in response to the ban of its Christmas advert. This is brilliant publicity, no? (laughs) You couldn't plan, really, a viral campaign like that. Um, You know, it's kind of played right into the hands in in a 
quite crowded market where the John Lewis's of this world always kind of take the the glory. Um, it's kind of worked out quite nicely for Iceland and for the message behind it, I guess, more importantly, um, that this ban has meant that, you know, people are paying attention. I know I certainly went and looked at it where I might not have done before. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of worked out. Who knows if there was some greater Machiavellian strategy behind that. But Well, the suggestion is they may have made it purposefully controversial to get yeah, it Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean a, it was a total swizz. I mean, anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen it, you know, it was a, it's Iceland's Christmas advert. It's about the dangers of deforestation and it basically promoting the fact that they don't use palm oil products. Um, and they, you know, they've come out and said, oh, we can't put it on TV because it was banned because it you know, was too too edgy for TV and too raw. But it, A, it wasn't banned. Clearcast, to advise ad companies whether their ads are going to be approved for broadcast, said it probably won't. But it wasn't because it was too edgy. It wasn't because the people of this country aren't ready to hear about deforestation being bad. It was because they, it was originally a Greenpeace campaign and they just stripped off the Greenpeace logo, slapped the Iceland logo on. And that, that was that was the actual, you know, kind of, bureaucratic reason that that could probably wouldn't be approved for broadcast but it, they've managed to reshape the narrative into this whole they're trying to hide this our lovely charitable message from you and it, people have, re- have just yeah have just risen up in response which I I can't really blame them you know but, so like, what you're saying is bottom line this is a PR triumph for Iceland yeah absolutely cheap advert yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, it's garnered them lots of attention and good headlines. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it was cheap because they didn't have to go yeah. to make it, did they? Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's obviously it's a good message, and a lot more people have seen it now via social media uh, than probably would have paid any attention to it. Uh, yeah, I saw n- nearly a million people have signed a petition to get it on TV, which is probably more people that would have seen it. Had they what you know? Had they been watching TV and taking notice of the Iceland advert? Yeah, I mean, slightly frustratingly, I guess that people are directing their attention towards the putting it on TV rather than the whole palm oil thing. It would have been nice if a million people signed something about palm oil in products and and that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, no, certainly in terms of the amount of attention it's got. And people do like being contrary, don't they? I think if it had been if it had been cleared for broadcast and it had been on TV, you know, there was there's always that sort of feeling, you know, when you see charity adverts, you know, when you're in a bad mood, you think, oh, I'm not, I don't want to be preached at right now. I'm trying to eat my dinner. Uh, but by framing it as this contra- as this controversial thing, that I think it has kind of energised people more than they would have if they just thought, oh, look, here we go, another Christmas charity, you know, appeal. Yeah, it wouldn't have had that same effect. I don't think. And we, we we're speaking on the day that uh, the John Lewis advert, Christmas advert, has landed. Do you think it's going to be a bit overshadowed by this or it's going to take on its own uh, momentum? Um, I haven't seen it yet. It's, so. a very, it's very intimate in comparison to... There's no orangutans. <laughs> there's some Elton John peak 70s uh, costuming going on, but no, nothing in the way of actual beasts. I mean, uh, they're both quite genuine. Some very clever CGI. Yeah, and then the, yeah, the CGI is really good. It's like Elton John through the years. Oh, yeah. But then it sort of ends on the message of buy your kid... A piano. A piano, and they might become Elton John. I looked on the John Lewis website, though. They don't sell pianos. They only sell digital pianos if you've got £900 to part with (laughs) for a promising young relative. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back with more news in brief after this. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Time for some media news in brief. Rebecca and Maeve are still with me. Um, an all-consuming monster. That's how the uh, editor-in-chief of the Daily Mirror described the BBC News website. Um, Rebecca. Is this just another tabloid editor attacking the BBC? Uh, yeah, so this was Lloyd Embley. And he, well, he, he he did make a good point, I think, in some respects, in that, so his argument was the BBC is a broadcaster and it doesn't really have any business becoming this titan of written news that should be left to the press, which I think there is a certain, yes, there is a certain argument to be made, especially when he particularly attacked clickbait news, uh, such as their intense coverage of, Love Island um, and I think there's definitely an argument to be made for that I mean that's not there's no public interest justification really for that that is just chasing clicks but I mean obviously it's a bit of a bit of a sleight of hand from him because he's not really addressing the fact that the reason people go to the BBC to read the news is because trust in the press has been eroded and you know not really recognizing his own you know his own company's part in eroding that public trust in the press you know people don't read the BBC for any other reason than that people do tend to trust it more than other organisations. And I think, you know, it's for the, the newspapers themselves to ask to ask themselves why that is. Mm. Do it, I mean, it dominates the Google algorithm. I mean, where I work at Business Insider, you can see that the BBC is favoured in search results over, you know, commercial pu- publishers. And But, we you know, we have to figure out a way around it and uh, have to navigate the online environment with a BBC that is still very prominent. Um, I mean, the BBC's not not going to... I mean, there's been several reviews of BBC's online footprint, and it doesn't feel like they've been massively affected because we've still got these arguments going on. Yeah, and it's kind of wide-reaching. So, I mean... Yeah, on the one hand, when it comes to paywalls, I mean, it's not just the BBC, right? It's, there's a lot of outlets out there putting out content. But you're right, in terms of, you know, the, the algorithms pushing it to the top, that's one thing. I think it has a real impact in local news as well, particularly with local papers um, who often have to kind of cover their local websites with advertising that makes them, you know, not particularly pleasant to read. And it's kind of understandable how as a consumer of news, you might go to the BBC 
Northampton rather than your local paper to find out what's going on there. But the consequence is, is that, you know, if there's no local reporters, local newspapers underground, that's a huge deficit in terms of local information coming in. BBC has kind of tried to address that with its local democracy reporters. But, you know, there's I think that is a problem in terms of the impact of giving away things that that could be um you know, that, that are a vital element of what keeps a kind of news uh, environment going financially viable for local papers as well. So, yeah, while I guess the Mirror worried, I would say what's more worrying and what's more impactful is what's happening to the smaller papers that are getting kind of um, just completely blown out of the water. Yeah, by the local reporting. I mean, mm-hmm. the Guardian announced that a million people have donated to their journalism in the past three years. Is that is that the answer? It's hard to know what the answer is. I think people are still grappling with it. That's certainly one model. And it's quite interesting on a local level to see similar things like the uh, Bristol Cable or the Ferret working on similar models of kind of cooperative schemes or, you know, if if everybody pays in, um, that's potentially one model. I think, you know, paywalls are another model. It would take some coordination across the board for everyone to agree that this is the way forward. And it would be interesting to see you know, I think there's a re-education of the public almost needed. That's quite a slow process in terms of people saying, well, I'll just go to Lad Bible instead then, or I'll just go to Facebook instead. Um, you know, you have to kind of t- re-educate people to see the value of news. Um, but yeah, it's a complex question. I'm not sure I have the answer. Yeah, and you know, the line is so blurred now between press and media in that sense you know some of the stuff that's been really attention grabbing that the BBC has done recently like just started its uh, fake news initiative and a lot of these websites I find completely unreadable these days I mean just the pop-up adverts the videos I can understand perhaps why readers don't feel like they're a great place to go and experience news yeah I mean I have to I'll just share the worst one that I ever saw which was on the Daily Mail website and it was an actual full-on movie trailer playing across the entire screen like behind the text so you just had like this white box of text and the whole rest of the screen was just like flames and explosions and loud noises it was incredible so do you think we have like online publishers they have to be smarter about advertising I'm not asking you to come up with this in the room but <laughs> here's the sleep. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been here's inter- my idea <laughs> I've been interested to see you know working in podcasts to see um, advertisers kind of sh- pivoting to that because of the ad blockers that you can put on websites and things people going like oh hang on if people aren't reading or looking at this trailer or it's actually just pissing them off it's completely frustrating when you're trying to read something and you have to go through 12 quizzes and surveys and okay from uh, from newspapers to tv uh, sky's head of drama Anne mensa has joined netflix this week uh, as their new and first uh, london-based drama boss um this is a bit of a statement isn't it guys yeah, I think it's really exciting in terms of um, just commitment to big budget, hopefully drama coming out of the UK. Um, you know, if I was a, a actor in the UK, I think I'd be quite buoyed by the news. Um, clearly going on the success of things like The Crown um, and some of the other kind of big budget things that have translated so well into the US market as well. It's clearly recognition that there there are brilliant programmes to be made. Yeah, yeah. British dramas leading the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's done things like Fortitude and Tin Star. Uh, yeah, she's got a great reputation in the TV industry as well liked I can't I'm trying to think I've written about TV for for best part of a decade I can't think of a online player scooping up a big TV exec uh, like this I mean the only other example is Jay Hunt moving to Apple 
Mm. Yeah, it, I think in a way, like she'd almost got too big for Sky. I mean, the, the scope and the ambition of some of the series that she's commissioned have been like really sort of pushing the limits of, of what you would see on, you know, on normal TV, on normal, on uh, mainstream TV channels. Um, and I think she's going to be a really great fit at Netflix. Like so a lot of the stuff she's done, stuff like um, Patrick Melrose, stuff like that is basically if you ask someone that had seen it like they may well have told you that they think they saw it on Netflix you know it's very much in the in the mould uh, of the kind of dramas that they're making um, the only thing that I would say though is that while this is really good news for UK creatives you know actors production houses it might be slightly putting the wind up the uh, UK TV channels uh, who are not going to be best pleased about more Netflix incursion into uh, Well, I think, I think they're already habits. sufficiently winded. Mm. Yes, I don't uh, know how much windier they, they can get <laughs> at this point. I mean, BBC TV boss Charlotte Moore criticised Netflix and Amazon uh, last month saying that they've got an insatiable greed for data gathering. I mean, that's pretty strong stuff from the BBC. <laughs> but I guess hires like this show that it's, it's about more than data. Yeah, they, they need seem- proper com- commissioners making decisions. Yeah, and they seem to be, you know, commissioning a lot of stuff from what I hear is that they're they're kind of casting their net quite wide they're kind of putting their money where their mouth is and I don't think you can criticise them for that if you are the BBC or or other and I guess this is behind the scenes hire they've also landed David Attenborough for Our Planet Um, did you guys know that? I didn't know that (laughs) breaking news yeah yes they landed David Attenborough for he's going to be the voice of a new big new sort of natural history show on uh, on Netflix, which is again made by a British producer, um, so the Brits are doing pretty well for ourselves. Clearly, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we can thank the Crown for a lot mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, and indeed Black Mirror as well. Mm-hmm. So yes. Charlie Brooker has been yes. has been uh, you know paving the way for British success. So hot on the heels of Chris Evans' departure from Radio Two, uh, Simon Mayo announced that he's leaving his Drive Time show to concentrate on other projects. Maeve, what's the story here? So it seems to be a kind of concern amongst some that Radio 2 is kind of faltering and and losing its way. Um, There was a great Radio Times article that kind of explored some of the reasons that might be. Obviously, there's probably no one thing that's caused it, but um, this article was suggesting that a kind of of perfect storm of issues around um, pay transparency, around new kind of Ofcom rules on... um, kind of quotas of how much UK music you might have to play, issues around diversity might have all kind of, and, and issues in management, I guess, have all stifled creativity. You know, some of that is complex. I, I'm not sure that you can blame everything on pay transparency or, or a move towards diversity. That seems like a kind of worrying, it has to be this way or nothing else. But there does seem to be a kind of inflexibility of thought that means that um, it's getting a bit stale. I'm not sure if anybody's really excited about anything on Radio 2 right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, the fact that the controversy is that some immensely popular veteran female DJs have replaced some immensely popular male DJs, and no one's really replaced anyone, you know, they've just been, everyone just gets shuffled around into a different time slot. And this, this is what passes for controversy, mm-hmm. that, you know, that it's no wonder that younger people are, you know, moving away from listening to traditional broadcast radio, because, you know, it's just the same lineup of people, isn't it? Like, it's become a, a thoroughfare, you start off on Radio 1, and then eventually, if you don't have any, you know, sex scandals, you'll eventually get shunted up to Radio 2, and then probably end up in you know the 11 o'clock slot talking about trombonists <laughs> but you know this is the thing it's just such an insular world mm. and that and as we've seen from the huge backlash against the drive time reshuffle any attempt to you know make even the most minor really in the great scheme of things changes is met with an enormous pushback from the listeners but 
the Radio 2 listeners are, on the whole, so devoted that the BBC is naturally very antsy about antagonising them in a way they might not be for other audiences. I don't know that it it can't work at all, but I think what happened with the drive time thing is that it was just all done very awkwardly. You know, they, Simon Mayer was seemed from you know from what I've read, it seemed like he was kind of chosen because they thought he was the only one that would basically put up with it and would be able to be quiet long enough to have a co-presenter. Mm-hmm. And Joe Wiley is more of a kind of musical connoisseur and not really a natural fit for you know the kind of music that you're expected to play on drive time. So the whole thing was just a bit awkward for everyone uh, especially for Joe Wiley who ended up on the receiving end of some you know pretty horrible abuse online and I guess kind of in the background of all of this is James Pennell who used to work in policy at the BBC has got no uh, programming experience and is now running radio at the BBC do you think his hand might be in some of these sort of clumsy chair moving exercises that we're seeing or am I being nasty? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think partly, well, what it seems to be from, from the articles and everything I've read seems to be the um, this thick middle management system where there's just so many managers that share responsibility and so many decisions that have to get signed off. It's almost like, you know, designing a horse by committee. And in more bad news for, for, for some presenters, uh, the National Audit Office announcing this week that about 800 uh, BBC presenters could face investigation because of uh, the way they arrange their tax affairs. It must feel like uh, if you're a presenter at the BBC, things are not easy at the moment. No, and in terms of it being this kind of bastion, you know, in in a UK market or world market, really, you think that they would have their stuff together. Uh, now, there is just time for our media quiz. Uh, your challenge is to remember as many of the podcast cliches identified by producer Alex Sujan Lochlin from Transmitter Media in Brooklyn as possible in under a minute. Alex drew up a bingo card with 20 classic podcast calling cards, things all regular podcast listeners will recognise. Your challenge, Maven Rebecca, is to give me as many podcast tropes as chosen by Alex as you can think of in 60 seconds. Three, two, one, go. Uh, uh, Brought to you by Squarespace. I was going to say brought to you by Blue Apron or some other kind of box where... The presenters talk about how they like to cook things from scratch. Uh, 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 um, aggressive laughter, overly aggressive laughter. Oh. Um, I do this one far too much. Keyboards tapping in the background sound effects. Uh, friend of the pod. <laughs> oh, um, bringing your producer out into the field and uh, using lots of atmospheric sound of birds tweeting. Shit, that's really good. I, These are I, very good. Why can You're I doing do well. brought to you? I, I just, all I can think of is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> You're just advertising. I think that's the same as the square face. Yeah, I, I can't get more points for more advertising. I like the, uh, introducing it by saying this is XYZ. Yeah. Uh, this is the tip. As listeners of the show will know, blah, 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 blah. Continuing our series on blah. Um, oh, I may have listened to so many podcasts that the cliches are just... They've just, they're just in my brain now. They're just part of your very just, fabric. <laughs> um. Well, I've been noting down the scores, and, <laughs> and our producer has as well. Where are we at? See, I've got, <laughs> I have not got that. I've got, <laughs> I've got three two to Rebecca, and our producer's got three one to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it as three. We can three take all. it as three all. Three all. Yeah. Yeah. This is why women don't get ahead. <laughs> <laughs> The rules aren't clear at the start. <laughs> but I think you, know, you you ticked off some good ones. I'm trying to think if there's any other any 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 big ones that you missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this week on the pod, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the obligatory Squarespace ad. So, what podcasts are you listening to at the moment that our listeners might not already know about? 
Um, so I'm listening to one. It's from How Stuff Works called Happy Face, uh, and it's a series of um, podcasts about uh, this this woman Melissa, whose father was a serial killer, um, and basically about what it was like to grow up with him. He's now in like he was sentenced to you know life in prison. He killed I think something like eight or nine women, and basically about her life and what it was like growing up with him in the house. So he, he was basically exposed as a serial killer when she was uh, in her early 20s. So it's like her childhood memories of him and also she meets up with the son of one of the victims and they have a very emotional conversation about their kind of shared uh, shared wounding experiences at the hands of the same person. It's really, really atmospheric, gripping stuff. Um, it's quite dark in places, but overall, like, you know, has a kind of a positive message about healing and forgiveness, etc. Sounds fantastic. It's on the list. Mm. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. How about you, Mae? Well, other than the tip-off back Of episodes, course. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get energy to make serious Just bookmark. <laughs> um, I've been listening to one called Out of Fashion, which is about the kind of fashion industry. It talks about kind of ethics in uh, buying and things like that. I think it's lots of really interesting things for somebody who doesn't follow fashion particularly. I just think it's, it's got some interesting contextual stuff. And then another one called Unfinished, which is by a journalist called Tom Bristow at the Eastern Daily Press, which is a cold case um, from Norfolk, I think. Um, a classic case where the police are pretty sure they knew who murdered a young woman, but for one reason or another didn't manage to get their man. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just quite interesting to see how a local community in the UK recovers from that kind of thing and um, go back and, and dig into what happened. Brilliant. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks to our guests, Maeve McLennigan and Rebecca Gilly. If you like what we're up to here on the Media Podcast and want to help us keep making it, then consider taking out a voluntary subscription. Every episode is dedicated to a subscriber, and that subscriber could be you. Visit themediapodcast.com forward slash donate and select an amount to keep us going all year round. Plus, catch up with previous episodes and get new episodes as soon as they're released by subscribing for free at our website, themediapodcast.com. I'm Jake Cantor. The producer is Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, goodbye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.